Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Elite Team Leadership Podcast. Today's special guest, I'm super excited to have Gary Bacanar on the show. Now, Gary is a four-time premiership player for the Hawthorne Football Club. He is also a member of the Team of the Century, and now he is the recruiting manager of the Hawthorne Footy Club. So, super excited to have him on. I actually wandered down to the Hawthorne Footy Club, and we had a chat about this and record this in the sunshine down there while all the boys are actually out on the on the park there uh, working and getting ready for the weekend's game. So it was great to hear a bit of back noise of the current players running around while talking to all the Hawthorne 40 legend. And it was great to go through some huge things about how he got the success he did um, back when he was playing to how he's having success now in his role with the club. And make sure you guys listen out in his current role as recruitment manager. Listen out for his first draft at the club when he arrived and particularly the first three players he picked up um, and the success that those three players have had with the club. So um, right from the get-go, huge success. So he's got a great eye and there's so much here for us to learn from, so many strategies, tips and things we can implement into our own game, in our own business and really take us to the next level. Now guys, this is also going to be um, posted obviously on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter on Elite Team Leadership. So check that out and make sure you got some mates out there who are going to love this um, and make sure you tell them about it because there's so many gold nuggets in here for them as well and I want to make sure that they um, get the opportunity to learn from a guy like Gary. So guys, sit back, enjoy episode 15 with Gary Bacanara. Hello and welcome to Elite Team Leadership Podcast. Today I'm super excited to have special guest Gary Bacanara with me, who is a Hawthorne, a legend of the football club, a three-time premiership player, was part of the Hawthorne team this century. Four. Four times, sorry. I wonder how I get that wrong. Four-time premiership player. Um, so super precise. So welcome, uh, Bucky. Welcome to the program. Thanks, James. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. So I really like to start off with just getting a bit of background about you and, and your career, and mm. uh, and then what you're sort of doing now as well. Yeah, sure. Well, I started. I'm a WA boy, and I started uh, playing uh, league football in WA in 1979 yep. uh, with a club called Subiaco. Um, played about 60 odd games with them three years and then got recruited to Hawthorne in 1982. So I came across in 82 and, um, and played there until I retired in 1990. And um, I, I did a bit of coaching. I went to coach the Sydney Swans, which wasn't such a great experience back then. Yes. Um, they were pretty uh, financially ruined, and uh, you know it was a really hard for a young coach to yes. to, to go through that. And then uh, returned to WA after that, um, and uh, did a bit of coaching over there for Subiaco. Uh, came back to Melbourne in early 2000. To work with Peter Swabert Hawthorne as an assistant coach, yes. and then 2004, I took over the recruiting role at Hawthorne. So I've been um, doing that job since 2004. So 
I guess all up, I've been around, involved in a, in about 35, 36 years mm. of footy. Yeah, mm. fantastic. And I just thought, I guess I want to actually start with um, your playing career and, and going into coming back to Hawthorne particularly. So you came in 82, so you won your four premierships, would have been 83, 86, 88, 89. That's correct, yeah. Um, during that time, I guess you fit in nicely in there and really absolutely performed hugely. What were some of the three things that made you... Yeah, a really successful player during that team and during that era. Well, firstly, we had a fantastic team, so it was great to come into a, a strong and a great club like Hawthorne. Um, you know, they were, you know, really good people and uh, and had a had a really strong culture and and the site itself was really strong. So to come into that and to break into that uh, straight away was uh, was really good. Um, you know, I was pretty wide-eyed young lad. You know, I. Um, I, I had my share of injuries. I had a lot of patella tendonitis that I had to work through and try and get right. Um, yes. But through that, um, you know, I had to work hard and I had to be diligent. And I think it's the key to anything. You know, it, uh, you know, you just got to be um, have the ability to work hard, to want to do it, um, to make the appropriate sacrifices. And um, you know, we generally did that because we all had to work back those days. It's not like it is <laughs> yeah. today. You know, yeah. it's. Yeah. Uh, we had to have eight to four jobs to fit in with training at starting at five and yep. um, you know probably getting home at eight thirty nine o'clock of a night and then the whole process would start again so she was fairly full on but yep. uh, the environment was a little less relaxed than what it is nowadays yeah uh, what was your what was your day job back in those days um, I used to work uh, for Dunlop Olympic I used to manage a tire store for them yep, yep. and uh, then I went on to um, worked for uh, Australian Airlines for a few years, yeah, and yeah. then um, a company called Harry the Hira, yeah. who's um, you know, he does all the major events in town, like the Melbourne Cup, oh, does right. the marquees and sets up all the portable marquees. So that was a, a great experience. Then that, after that, I went into the co- my footy career finished, and then I went on yeah, into that coaching side of it and got involved in footy pretty much full time from then on. And once you sort of finished your playing days, did you sort of just realise footy, you just where you wanted to be and you wanted to continue on in different roles within the club? Yeah, look, I, you know, obviously I, I had a background in, in sales and management and, you know, events and, and whatever. Um, and, yeah, look, it's always something that you love doing, playing footy and being involved in footy, you know, I was very fortunate. So yes, it was a passion of mine and if I if I could have stayed involved, I wanted to stay involved and there's never any guarantees in that, uh, that you are going to, you know, get that opportunity and, you know, for a few years there after the Sydney thing, I didn't um, and I sort of went back to what I knew, that was the ties and I became state manager of Mitchell and um, WA and Northern Territory. Um, so I got a, a good job in that and that sort of uh, tidied me over until Peter Swab got the Hawthorne job and he invited me to come back and join him and so since 1999 um, I've been here all that time. During your playing days um, and people you played with, who were some of the key people that you sort of had as mentors in your playing from coaches to players? Who was you sort of looking towards? Is everything and... okay here? Did you have some water? You're right. Thank you. Um, who are you looking towards and up to, and who was guiding you um, through that time in particular? Well, we had a, a coach in Alan Jeans back then, and yep. um, Alan was a fantastic mentor to me. Not only a, um, as a person, he you know he was a fantastic coach, but he was also a great person. 
and uh, you know I really looked up to Alan. You know, he he had this great ability to know what made each person tick on his list and yeah. know knew how to get the best out of them. Um, uh, you know, he'd take an interest in you. He'd always have a word to you, give you some feedback on how you were going. Um, so I just loved the way that he went about it, and he he moulded a group of uh, players together and uh, you know, created a lot of that environment and that success that we enjoyed through the 80s was because of his ability in man management and I think that stands for anything today in, yep. if you're a leader or you're a, you're a boss you know your man management you know, getting to know the people that work for you and uh, are performing for you then if you can do that then you know you're on the right path uh, rather than being an elitist person yes. you know who rules the roost I think you know if you can get down to the level of the people that you work with and be uh, a decent uh, boss and you know encourage and lead by example and that's what Alan Jeans did you know, in particular so he was the biggest influence on me and I think yeah. he had a profound influence on a lot of players and a lot of players out of that era went on to become uh, coaches and yes. um, and leaders in football and business and whatever. So um, I would say Alan Jeans was the biggest influence that I had. Yeah. If you had if you had to take sort of Alan Jeans from the eighties and apply him to twenty fifteen, would his coaching uh, method, your methods obviously change? But like working with people, do you reckon that would have changed in the last thirty years as well? Well, I think it it, it stands the test of time yep. you know if you're going to be a leader you've got to be, be able to listen you've got to be able to understand the people that are performing for you you've got to be able to understand um, you know what are their triggers what turns them on you know what yep. turns them off yeah um, yeah and and, and and that's very important I think in anything so it would stand the test of time he'd, he'd be amazing uh, coach and obviously he would have learnt as the games progress, yes. the tactics and all that have come to it, into it now. Yes. Um, that's that's something that you know obviously a senior coach today has to be very proficient at. But you still got to still be that leader and you still got to lead your charges and you still got to get them to follow you. Yeah. You know, and and like anything in the business world, if you're a leader and, and you don't have the respect of the people that are under you, then they're not going to follow you. Yeah. Well. Give me a couple of practical examples that made you just really want to follow Alan back in the day and just like, you know, he's the man, I believe in him, believe in what he's about. What was a couple of things, he, actions he may have done that you just thought, yep? Well, I guess just from a personal point of view, I in the 1983 grand final, I snapped a patella tendon and and, um, and that, that pretty much left me out for two years. But through that time... Alan never gave up on me, and you know he did a lot of training sessions with me. Um, he personally encouraged me to keep going because you know he believed in my ability. Yeah. And um, uh, he had 40 or 50 other guys that he had to, to mm. coach and well. But every opportunity he got, because I was not out on the track, I was in the gym or I was you know in the physio, you know working hard to try and get my strength back in my knee and trying to get back on the field to. He was always there, and he did sessions with me, and you know, he encouraged me, and I just thought that that's that's a great leader, you know, someone that you know didn't have to do it because you know uh, I was just another player, but to him I was one of his boys, yep. and you know he, he had empathy for me. He, he realised that you know it was a big thing that I was going through, and yep. um, that I wanted to get back, and he supported me, and mm. you know, so that was one of the biggest 
you know, why I have so much admiration for him and respect for him. And, um, you know, I'll always remember that, uh, what he did for me. And yeah. to me, that was the sign of a great leader. When you, uh, you mentioned before, you took on the head coaching role up in Sydney there. Um, if you could look back and make, say, three changes to your time there, what were three things you could do, looking back now, if you could do anything, what were the three things you would do to help in, and improve the result in the end? Well, back then I don't think anybody could have improved the result because they uh, pretty much uh, were running on the smell of an oily rag. They, they were only spending half the salary cap. Um, they had no facilities. They had uh, very little assistance in terms of uh, support staff for a, a coach. And so as a first-time coach to walk into that, I was pretty naive and I took the opportunity to become an AFL coach not knowing whether you'd ever get asked to do it again. So I grabbed the chance thinking I could make a difference. But... Um, pretty much, you know, uh, I don't think from a coaching point of view I could have done anything more. Mm. Probably the situation frustrated me as I got into it, yep. you know, the, the lack of support that you had, the lack of dollars that were being spent in the footy department, whatever, that frustrated me. And I think as a young coach I let that affect me in terms of frustration with the players sometimes, you yes. know, and... Um, you know, so probably hindsight. In looking back, I, I should have done a, a longer apprenticeship from retiring as a footballer. Should have gone to other clubs and, and you know, or at Hawthorne and stayed as an assistant coach and learned and yep. uh, done a bit more of an apprenticeship that way rather than just jumping at the first job that was presented yes. to me. Um, so hindsight's a wonderful thing in those uh, situations, but. Um, I guess it was a life experience, albeit a very hard one. You know, it, it probably um, that did probably cruel my ambitions to be a, a senior AFL coach. Yes. Um, so I had to find out other ways to yeah. to try and eke out a living in footy or, or in business, and that's what I had to do. Well, that's a great segue to what I'd like to talk about now. And your role now as recruiting manager of Hawthorne Football Club. Now, I. You started in 2004. Just um, tell the folks listening to this what sort of draft you had in 2004 yeah. um, and success that came about straight off the bat. Yeah, look, it was um, at that point the club was really struggling on field. Um, Swabby, a great mate of mine, was the coach and um, he got replaced halfway through that 2004 season you know, you know, when I was doing the recruiting. So it was pretty hard and uh, Donald McDonald took over as caretaker coach. So... Um, I think we finished second last that year and and, and um, the following year not much better but in 2004 um, Clarko was appointed in September after the season yep. uh, as coach and uh, he asked me to get to keepers it because we had priority picks then because we'd only yes. won less than five games so we got a priority pick and some help and then with other trades etc we had picks two, five and seven in that in that draft and it was a pretty good draft um, so he said look I'd prefer you get two key position type players and a midfielder and uh, I was we were able to work it that I got uh, Jared Roughhead, Lance Franklin and uh, Jordan Lewis with my first three picks in the draft so, so your first three picks you've just gone pretty much three legends of the footy club now yeah, yeah. in hindsight so as I've always used the word hindsight it's a wonderful thing in life yeah. and in sport and uh, it probably created the pillars um, to yeah. build around you know and um, you know subsequently you know uh, back then it was just me um, 
John Hook was the football manager and we had a part-timer in Greg Boxall um, and some weekend part-timers. So yeah. that's how the footy department now has grown to yep. where we have uh, five full-time staff in recruiting, um, yeah. about 20 part-time staff around Australia. So yeah. um, the importance of recruiting is is profound to, to yep. get it right and I guess yep. uh, that was the pillars in 2004 and we've been able to gradually add that and then Clarko's done a fantastic job in developing the list and um, you know getting him a style of play and you know the depth that we have now and I guess the depth is a part of the trading and the recruiting that you know we've done yeah. and you know, created the list that we have um, that's won three premierships since 2004. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. and, and gunning for a, a third in a row this year. We're uh, knocking on the door. We've been a bit up and down, but um, you know we've got the talent there. There's yeah. no doubt. It's just to me, it's how much it means to them. Yeah. You know whether they're going to challenge again. Going through um, looking at players to potentially recruit and mm. looking at them day in day out. What are some of the key things that you're really looking for from a 16, 17-year-old um, looking at recruiting? What are, what are some of the key um, values and traits that you're looking for? Okay. Initially, first of all, you've got to look at um, are they a footballer? Yeah. Do they understand the game? So watching live football is is the key to it. You know, you've got to get out there and watch enough footy and you've got to watch the guys enough live. Yep. Um, then, you know, you use your video edits and whatever and, and that to back up your thoughts to what you see live because you can pick up so much by watching a game live that you don't pick up on a video. Yeah. You know, their ability to read the play, you know, anticipate, yep. you know, yep. get a jump on their opponents by working out where the ball's going on the field so I look for footballers first and foremost then in today's footy you've got to have a degree of athleticism so we have to crystal ball what's his body look like now it's a skinny kid what's it going to look like in a full-time footy environment will he put muscle on will he develop into a nice size will he grow more um What's his endurance capabilities like? What's his speed like? Um, yep. What's his agility like? We we have to do a lot of homework on 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 that sort of thing as well, you yes. know. So we get testings and we get GPS readouts that we can marry up, and 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 then obviously we then have to interview the the player and the family and and work out, you know, we, how he's been at school and yeah. you know uh, what sort of a kid he's like. Um, is he a good learner? Is he a good listener? Uh, is he coachable? Yeah. So we, and we call that the makeup, the player makeup. You know. Yep. So first it's footy ability. Yep. Then it's you know crystal balling as to what he's likely going to be looking like yep. athletically, um, and then it's the desire he has to be an AFL player yep. and how much it means to him and will he come into a system and 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 be coachable yes. and accept the challenge and the sacrifices that have to go today if you yep. want to be a successful AFL player. So it's not just the footy ability. The footy ability plays a big part, but there's a lot of other ticks that we have to add to the boxes uh, before we'll call a name out on draft day. Yeah. Obviously with stuff I, I do as well, working with teams in terms of finding their values and, and what they're about and the vision for their team, I'm sure Hawthorne has their own different values they look for. Are you trying to really align up these players as well that you're potentially recruiting with the club's about and where it wants to go? Is, is that really obviously oh, yeah, the back yeah. of your mind constantly? You have to, you have yeah. to bring in, you know, like... Um, 
you have to bring in good citizens uh, uh, to the best of your ability. You know, yeah. you're always going to find some glitches along the way. Yeah. You know, some skeletons will come out of a, a closet, etc., etc. But uh, at the end of it, you know, uh, you try and do as much homework in that area as you can to, to, to match up the football ability. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, what are three things that would instantly say this play is no good for us? What would, what would a 16, 17 year old do, like we'll need to do, if you, if you were to get it across from you and say, no, nah, we're out? Well, what would be the things that would just turn you off? We, in today's footy, uh, skill is a huge um, component of it. Yeah. So um, kicking and football skills is one thing. If, the, if he's got an awkward kicking style and you know, can't hit a target, etc., you know, that gives them a cross in yeah. my mind because yeah. today's footy is all about skill yes. and keeping possession of the footy. That's the game plans of most clubs now. Yeah. It's a yeah. game of keep it off. Yep. And um, so, um, yeah, skill is a big component. And, and that offers some challenges, and I have my own theories as, as to why. Um, probably players of the past in my era were more skillful. Yeah. even though we weren't trained full-time, but because we spent all our school days, after school, whatever, with the footy in our hands. Yes. We went down the park, we kicked with mates, we, yep. we practised king of the pack, <laughs> specky marks yeah, at, yeah. at, at lunchtime at schools. And yep. We kicked the footy at morning recess, lunchtime, <laughs> afternoon yep. recess, that's all we did at footy. And then we went down the park and kicked the footy down the park today. You could drive past ovals and you never see it. Schools don't allow um, football because of injury and insurance problems. You know, so they kids can't kick the footy at half time. Yeah. They're not allowed to. So they don't have a footy in their hands enough. So mm. they don't learn what the footy can do for them. And they go to footy training and they might handle the ball 10 or 15 times. Yes. Mm. In an hour's training mm. session as yep. a kid. It's not enough. Yep. And so one of the big things is skill acquisition is, you know, when you see kids with good skill, they stand out in yeah. today's footy. So we have to, you know, even when we draft them, you know, there are areas that we have to fast track yep. in terms of their opposite side handball, opposite side kicking, mm. you know, because they just haven't done enough yep. work on it. Yep. You know, so um, it is, a, it is a, a problem for the game in terms of the development. And we've got so much coaching that's now coaching styles of play rather than skills. And for me, you know, kids at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, yeah. all they should be doing is skill acquisition, skill drills. Yeah. And I guess you see that most predominantly in goal kicking probably these days, yeah. which is one of, definitely one of the areas that has not improved or particularly it's gone backwards. It has gone backwards because yeah. of that exact point. Uh, kids down the park shooting for goal. That's all what me and my mates did. We had kick goal yeah. kicking competitions. Yep. We had snapping competitions, snaps on goals, and we did it every day. And yeah. and that's why set shot kicking is a skill. You know, you look at Etihad Stadium. The roofs close for goodness sake. There's no wind. Yep. It's dry. You know, 30 metres out directly in front, and they and miss off the side of the boot. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, to me, it's just that's the reason why in the modern game that. You know, the kids coming through haven't had enough um, skill acquisition hours in actually learning what the footy can do for them, creating their own styles of kicking and handball, etc. You look at the modern day player, the best example of it is Sam Mitchell. Yeah. You know, his ability with his hands, both by hand and foot, yeah. he's made himself into that because that's what he practised. And he practised it for hours and hours and hours and hours to perfect it. 
and he's, you see the results of it. He can make up a kick, he can make up a handball, he can do anything. And that's what we've got to try and teach the kids as we draft them. So I guess people listening, so if you were a young football listener to this, main thing is getting a football in your hand is going to really um, you know, accentuate you getting a chance in AFL and becoming successful. What are a couple of other things that like a 16, 17-year-old could do that could sort of, like in the business world, they're called business hacks, you know what I mean, to try and jump up quicker and explode in terms of um, results. What are a couple of things 16, 17-year-olds could do to really jump themselves up to get noticed and you know, potentially get drafted and get into the system? Yeah, it is a hard one because, you know, they're only limited. They've got their schooling, which is so important. You know, they've got the, 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 the pressures of their peers and, you know, the time to spend with mates. Uh, you've got iPads, you've got uh, technology now, which uh, takes a, a lot of their time away. And so there are those pressures for them not to be down a park kicking um, a footy. Kicking the footy and having a footy in your hands, as you said, that's the yep. biggest thing, you know, yep. and it should be skill acquisition. Um, understanding maybe what your strengths are in terms of your athleticism. Now, yep. I don't advocate guys going into the gym and trying to bulk up or doing that, that without professional um, thing, but you can do things to help improve your body. Like if you if you think you need off the mark speed, you know, do some athletics. Yeah. Um, if you think you need more endurance, do some athletics. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, if you need a little bit more strength, well, maybe you can do a lot more body, you know, weight exercises, yeah. uh, push up, sit ups, um, you know, chins, and all yeah. those sort of things just to improve that little part of your, you know, to complement, you know, if you've got good skills but a really light body, um, you can do little things to help improve. But generally we are what we are. Our makeup is our makeup, And and some guys will develop earlier and some guys will develop later. Um, But what you can control is uh, your ability with a footy in your hand and the little improvements you can do to endurance and speed. Yeah. And so that would be the recommendations that I would have for any uh, kids is really hone in on your skills, both sides of your body, and and try and work on the areas that if you think you're a bit slow, work on trying some speed technique exercises with an athletics coach or join an athletics yep. club and get help in that area. Yeah. Um, sort of coming towards the end of the um, interview now, Gary, was this is you know, fascinating to talk about this mm. forever. What's, it just an, what's an average day look like for you now as a recruiter of Hawthorne Football Club? Yeah, well, our season pretty much goes from, I guess it's March to December with by the time the drafts and that are over. So, you know, I don't get to watch Hawthorne play too much because I'm always out watching um, other yep. uh, competitions, etc., looking for the new talent and yep. fo- following the talent pathway as much as possible. So generally it's weekend watching, um, then reviewing um, your work, doing your reports, um, yeah. doing video edits of what you've seen, the players that you've seen, the players that you like, uh, creating and compiling that. What we talk about is the the bigger picture yeah. uh, of the player. So every week we're out there watching, building edits, building building a profile um, of the players that we're uh, looking to create our talent list from, yeah. and then. Um, that probably gives us one day a week off and then yep. the whole process starts again. We go out and we can travel interstate. Um, probably I travel interstate every uh, two weeks of every month yeah. to watch footy yeah. in other states, etc. and to cross-reference the talent that we see here to WA, South Australia, yep. Tasmania, um, 
and the northern states as well, although they've got their academies now, which makes it a bit harder to get mm. those players. Yes. But, um, yeah, that's pretty much our day. We, we get one day a week off uh, during, the, during the season, say March to December, and yeah. um, um, it's all about building that profile and, and doing as much homework as you can. We yes. eventually know what draft picks we have, yep. uh, and then we hone down on the types of players we need and the types of players we want. Um, the interview process starts full on then. Yeah. Um, we get around and start interviewing players and their parents in their homes and yeah. um, telling them about us and yep. what we see in them. And mm. you know, uh, we never make any false promises to kids yep. uh, in terms of that we're going to draft them or anything like yep. that. But yep. the fact that we're there interviewing them tells them that we're interested. Yeah. And, uh, so mm. I guess that's a big part of it uh, of our role in terms of. Um, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and trying to limit the mistakes we make in the draft because if you get the draft wrong you bugger your club mm. it's a big role yeah. and along with yourself who are a couple other probably is obviously Al, Al's probably other key behind who you recruit in the end so you have a big, big say in the end or, and you go oh, yeah yeah, yeah. look we we work as a team you've got Graham Wright as the list manager you've yep. got uh, Jeff Morris Mark McKenzie Dale Bleach yep. uh, myself they're the full time yep. guys and you know we cross reference each other all the time and yep. we'll have heated discussions come yeah. around when it gets down to the uh, draft thing but generally we are, are a consensus and we yep. agree yep. Um, uh, on what we haven't had too many disagreements where someone stormed out of the meeting <laughs> saying you've got it wrong yeah um, generally we you know sort of work together and convince each other why we think that way and we have good spirited uh, discussions on it and yeah. that way I think you know we get a, a good result in terms of what we pick at our picks in the draft yeah, fantastic. Um, a couple of things I always do with every guest as well is um, I like to ask three books that you would recommend, like maybe a football coming up or a football today or just someone who really um, you got a lot out of and, and you thought would help people take them to the next level. Yeah. What sort of uh, what book would you recommend any couple that you should get your hands on? I'm not, I've never been a great book reader, to <laughs> yep. be honest, James. I'm, uh, I'm audio I'm, man. I like yeah, the... <laughs> yeah, I, I listen to a lot of things. I, you know... I, I take inspiration from a. Uh, I think the Nelson Mandela story is is an amazing story. Yeah. Um, I guess the um, we all thought the Lance Armstrong story was a fantastic motivational story for us all until we probably, you know, and I think in a way how he overcame the cancer is is, is yeah. testament to his his fighting spirit. There's no doubt about that. But I think we're all left a bit disappointed with uh, the outcomes of what we've eventually learned yeah. but the the Lance Armstrong book when it first came out to read that and you know what he went through and you know yes. we didn't know behind the scenes of course but yeah. the actual story, story of yeah. never giving up and, and I guess you know Alan Jeans used to say a few things that you know failure can't cope with perseverance yeah, yeah. that's a great saying yeah. I've always remembered that um, the harder you work Funnier enough, the luckier you seem to get. Yeah. Um, just little things like that, you know. And one thing he did say is, you know, he said, you'll always pass the same people when you're climbing the ladder to success that you will if times turn a bit hard, you'll pass the same people on the way down. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think if you think about that, that's a great message that, you know, no matter how successful you are, always treat people with respect and decency because. Yes. You're most likely to follow them down the 
the ladder if something goes wrong and you yeah. might need their help. Yes, yeah, that's a nice way to think about it. Yeah. Um, just the last couple of things, um, I guess we sort of almost touched on, I like to also ask the three truths about the world that you seem to you know, know are, yeah. are true. Uh, what, what are your th- three personal ones that you just think are just truths about the world? Yeah, well, I, I guess... That failure can't cope with pers- perseverance. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Yep. And uh, um, you treat people as you'd like to be treated yourself. And I, yeah. and, I, and I think if you take a lot of that philosophy, you're going to go okay in the in the world um, in terms of success and um, friends you make. Because I think you can judge a lot of people by the amount of friends they have, uh, whether they're a decent person or not. And, um, <laughs> Uh, decent people tend to have good friends, yes, and um, I think you know if you if you sort of go along in that manner and you, you work hard and you, you make the appropriate successes, and you know family and friends are, are really important um, things to have. Success success is also great, but I think you know you judge yourself by your family and friends and how well you know you, you treat them. Yeah, and what are the what are the main things you're grateful for at the moment in, in your life? Uh, family, yep. you know, um, you know, I've got two great kids. Um, you know, they're they're on their way. One's you know sort of trying to get a teaching job. Yep. She's qualified yeah. now after five yes. or so years, so she's the first year out. So Fantastic. I'm really proud of her. She got a master's in education and did the hard yards yeah. to get it. So Fantastic. my son's a plumber who works really hard and um, has his had his own business and has his own business and Fantastic. you know so. They've sort of got on with their lives. I'm a grandfather now, so oh, yeah. my son's had a little boy, and uh, you know he gives me great joy and my wife great joy. So you know we, um, I'm grateful for that. That our kids have turned out, you know, respectful and decent people, and um, you know we have great friends as well. So you know the footy club has been a great part of my life. You know to you know the, the mates that I've made out of that, the, the great times that I've shared, their memories that I'll always remember. Yeah, fantastic. Well, um, Bucky, I'd like to really appreciate you and acknowledge you for coming on the show uh, and for all the great work you're doing with the players today. Um, acknowledge you for your absolutely huge career with four premierships. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I really like thank you for coming and sharing your time and I'm sure everyone listening to this has got a huge amount out of it and really hopefully they can grab hold of this and apply it to themselves and really take themselves to the next level. So thank you again and we'll uh, have to catch up again soon. Okay, James, thanks. Cheers.